Welcome to the Indianola First Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Our prayer is that this message will inspire you, encourage you, and launch you into life-changing action. Thank you, worship team, for leading us into his presence this morning. And thank you, church, for worshiping and, and uh, for just maybe, maybe stepping out of your comfort zone a little, a little bit and praying for others and, and even coming down and receiving prayer. Um, we're going we're gonna to continue with that, that whole vein of thought and, uh, of pride um, stopping us. And it's really the, uh, the message of this morning um, that I've titled, Fight for the Cheap Seats. Uh, why, why is it so natural for us as human beings to conduct ourselves in a way that seeks to promote ourselves? Whether it's a subtle way we say things to make people look up to us. Anybody ever done that? Nobody? You're shy, okay. Subtle things we say to make people think we're maybe better than what we really are. Even the manipulative things we do to outright get ahead of the competition in our lives. The way we word things on social media. I, I want you to think about that just a second. How many have ever typed something out on social media and then backed off and then retyped it, backed off and retyped it? So you could say it just right. So maybe it's a good thing to check your words, right? But maybe it's so you could promote self just a little bit. This idea of pride isn't this big, giant thing that you think you're all that. And I know you can see it from a mile away. There are cases like that, no doubt. But pride can be extremely subtle. And it has a lot, it's like, a, it, it, it's like it has all these different arms reaching out and, and it, it can grab hold of you in, in just the most subtle, most minute way that you don't even recognize it as pride. And we, we really do see pride all over, and if we're honest, we have to admit that we've all participated in some of those prideful thoughts or prideful attitudes, um, at least on some level. And it's been said that when you shake it all down, pride is the sin in which all others arise. If you think about it, there's a lot of truth in that. All sin can be rooted in pride or trace back to the sin of pride. Pride believes we deserve and are owed something because of our amazing abilities. Pride takes, it always exalts self at the expense of others. And, and you know, pride can even keep us from doing what God wants us to do because we just don't want to look weird. Pride has all sorts of faces. And the Bible has a lot to say about pride. James tells us that, that God opposes the proud. Um, Proverbs 16.5, uh, everyone who is arrogant in heart, that's pride, right? That's a great word for pride there. Everyone who's arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord, an abomination. There are other things in the Bible that are called an abomination to the Lord, but pride is one of them. Pride, anyone who is arrogant or prideful in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured, he will not go unpunished. And in our scripture today, Jesus lays out a banquet of truth for the foodies he was eating with. I, uh, we've been in a series called Foodies where we look, we're going through the book of Luke, talk, talking about all those times when he ministered to the people around him through food. They were literally eating and he starts ministering and we're just looking at all those times. This is week five and uh, we are on Luke chapter 14, verse seven through 11. And like we've been doing this whole time, let's stand up and let's read this together. 
Luke 14, 7 through 11. It says this, let's read it. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who are exalted themselves will be humbled, and all those who humble themselves will be exalted. Father God, we thank you for your word. Let it be driven right down into our hearts today that we might understand, and God, that it would change us forever in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you can be seated. So we're going to talk about some foodie facts in reference to this, this instance where Jesus is eating, and, and I'm going to take you all the way back to where we didn't read, Luke 14, 1, to give you a little background of what's going on here. Uh, first of all, uh, Luke 14, 1 says, one Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. That's, what, that's kind of setting up this whole, this whole foodie moment with, with Jesus and the people he was talking to. And uh, it, it's interesting, I, I thought, man, how many times did Jesus get invited over to someone's house, and they were a Pharisee that invited them, invited him. I mean, it's just, it's amazing. We keep seeing this reoccurring thing, don't we? And, and it's so important uh, what it says here at the end, they were watching him. And I, I think it's important, I, I, I kind of was thinking this week, why is it that the Pharisees are, are always inviting him over? And then I saw this, they were watching him. And it got me curious, what is that word, watch? It, he, he was under their observation, and this was par for the course in Jesus' ministry, right? Everything he said, everything he did, it was scrutinized, it was watched with sinister attitudes. And we know that because we see the Pharisees always trying to trick him or trap him. They were looking for ways to accuse him. And in fact, the word translated watched here, and this is what was, was so eye-opening to me, here in the Greek is paratareo, paratareo. And it means to insidiously observe. Insidiously observe. It's the same word used in Acts 9 in reference to how the religious leaders watched Saul. After his conversion, we know Saul became the apostle Paul and he started preaching immediately. But, and he was baffling the Jewish leaders and he knew the scriptures so well, he was an educated Jew, that he, he kept proving uh, that Jesus was the Messiah to the dismay of the high religious leaders. He was a better arguer, debater than all of them because he was raised in that education system. He was, one, he was very educated in these things. And so he would just, with his knowledge, with his ability, with what God had done in his life, he would just slay them in those debates. And in Acts 9.23 after many days had gone by, it says this, I didn't have this up on the screen, but it's Acts 9.23, if you want to write it down and look it up later. Uh, after many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him. This is talking about Saul, or Paul. But Saul learned of their plan. Day and night, they kept close watch, insidious watching, insidiously looking for a way to get him. 
They kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him, it says. It's the same word used in this reference where the Pharisees were watching Jesus. It wasn't, you know, and this word interpreted watch, it's more, uh, there's more meat attached to it than just simply standing around watching lackadaisical. How many have ever been in church and understand, I know, I know the, the answer to this because I'm standing here looking at you, and, and you, you're watching me, but you're also looking around watching others. How many have ever just kind of lackadaisically watched something? No big deal, right? This is different. This is insidious watching, and I hope you're not doing that in church towards me. I hope you're not doing that towards each other, and I, 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 I don't think I'm doing that towards you unless you're, you know, you're causing problems in the congregation. Um, <laughs> I hope I'm not even doing it then. But this word is different than just this lackadaisical kind of watching something, just casually glancing at it, seeing what's going on. This is with insidious motive. It was calculated. And these Pharisees were watching, looking for a way to trick Jesus, looking for a way to prove him a false prophet. One mess up, one little mistake, one word spoken in haste or without cause would give these pious religious leaders a foothold to discredit him. And and I I just got to say this, sometimes in church, maybe I put it this way, the army of God and the family of God, I'll say the army of God, are the only soldiers who shoot their own wounded. Because they're so busy looking at other people, and you, I'll use this word, insidiously watching them, to see where they'll mess up. And why do they do that? Is it because they're just that nasty? I think it's because of their own hearts not being right with God, and so it's a lot easier to look at somebody else than to repent for what's going on in here. Well, that person's doing this. And so there's a comparative thing going on. These Pharisees were looking. They were insidiously watching, trying to discredit him. And there, there's, there's a real picture here. As Christians that live out loud, I, I got to say this too, you will be scrutinized. In fact, you will be watched. Those in the world will look for even the littlest discrepancy in your life. And those in the church do it too. And I hope that doesn't happen a lot here. Hopefully we, we are bigger than better than that, right? But in the, the world is going to do it. The more you are living out loud in your faith, they're going to look for even the littlest discrepancy in your life. And there's a, there's a sinister nature about it. If those who are holding on onto the world can find some mistake or some little detail that makes you less than perfect, they can justify why they reject the gospel or why they won't change if it's within the church. And the problem with that is, is if somebody looks at us long enough, how many know if they're looking at us with a sinister eye, they're going to find something wrong. I mean, I, you're going to find something wrong with me. I've got plenty wrong with me, and I know it. Let, 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 let me just, just, just show you, and I'm, I'm not trying to say good on me or anything like that, but, but Brad, I've been picking on you all morning, so I'll just pick on you again. What's a sin that I struggle with? How did he know that? Because I told you probably a hundred times. And if you weren't listening, I'm getting angry about that. <laughs> you know? I, it's okay to be transparent, right? It's okay to be transparent. 
In fact, I, when I was a young minister, there was a, a man who I, I got to meet. His name was Ed Cole, and he was really a, a phenomenal guy. He was one of those guys you, you, couldn't, you couldn't write down fast enough when he preached. You, you just couldn't write it down fast enough. Everything he said was noteworthy. I, someday I hope I'm like that. He, he was amazing, and he, he took me aside, and I, I, was, I told him I was going to be a, 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 a pastor, and he said, I, I want to give you a, a, a word for you. And I said, okay, I'm, I'm going to listen. This is Ed Cole. Anybody ever heard of Ed Cole? He wrote Maximize Manhood back in the day. He was really one of, these, one of the pioneers of men's ministry, I, I, at least in my, my world. And he said, as a pastor, never preach what you don't already practice. And I was like, wow, that leaves a lot out. <laughs> right? And I'll say it to you, because we're all ministers, right? We're all ministers in some sense, not necessarily vocational, but we're ministers. Only practice that which you already, or only preach that what you already practice. That, that's a tough one. And I was like, well, I was looking kind of confused, and he goes, it leaves a lot out, doesn't it? And I said, yeah. And he said, if you're not already practicing it, then be transparent about it and about where you're at in it. And he goes, if you'll do that, you'll always have the anointing of God on your, on your life. I didn't forget that. And I hope you don't either as you minister to others. It's okay, and, and minister to one, an one another. It's okay to be transparent. I'm way off my notes now. If people look at us long enough, they're going to find something wrong anyway, so we might as well be transparent. You can try to be perfect in everyone's eyes, which will eventually fail, and you'll fail in your efforts to do so. Or you can just keep diving deeper into intimacy with Christ, being transparent in your relationships with him and with others within the body of Christ. And here's another little side foodie fact. The higher you go in leadership and responsibility that comes with that leadership, the more your life will be scrutinized. It just will be. The more people will watch you with a sinister eye. So uh, again, you can put forth some kind of misguided effort to be more perfect, or you can just grow deeper in your relationship with him. I, I, I am, I'm thinking if I should say this or not. I don't want to sound like I'm all that in a bag of chips, all right? That's an old, I just dated myself, didn't I? Um, I have three girls that love the Lord, and I love the fact that they love the Lord. And I don't really take credit for that, because that's God's doing. That's their doing. They all had free will, free choice. They seen, those girls seen, growing, you know, how many know, and I, I got told this a lot of times, you're, oh, you got pastor's kids. I mean, you, you're going to have kids. You have three girls. Pastor's kids are the worst, right? They're, they're the most rebellious in the church. I got told that so many times by people in the church. Oh, you better look out. Pastor's kids, are, they're the wild ones. And you got girls. Your, your life's, you're, you're, you, you know what I'm saying? I got told that so many times. Not even so much here. I mean, I did here, but I, I did all over. People would say that. Even other pastors told me that. Oh, it's hard to raise kids in the church. I want to say, I, I'm not taking credit for my girls serving God. That was their decision. But I am going to say this, that if I wouldn't have been the same person at home that I am at the pulpit, I probably would have had problems. 
okay? And I don't say that with arrogance or anything at all. In fact, I maybe would have been that way. Pastor Calloway used to tell me that. You better be the same guy in the pulpit as you are at home. He's right. Because that's transparency, right? The higher you are in leadership, and I don't care if you're a board member, if you're a pastor, or if you're the Bible uh, study leader at your place of work. I, if people even look up to you at work as the pastor on the, on the factory line, you know? How many know there's pastors in the factory line that aren't vocational pastors, but they're, take, they're, they're shepherding people, they're teaching people, they're preaching to people all the time, right? Amen. You know, that, that happens all the time. So if, if, that's, if that's going on in your life, just remember you're going to be scrutinized the higher you are in that leadership and, and the, those responsibilities, the, the more you'll be scrutinized in your faith. It's just part of it. Jesus understands this more than anyone. How difficult it really is to be under constant scrutiny under sinister watchfulness. And I think we can relate to Jesus because all of us have felt like we've been under the microscope before. And Jesus, I want you to know, can relate to you. He was observed by those who want to justify their own lack of faith by fault-finding yours, or fault-finding his. And that's the same thing that happens to us sometimes. One biblical commentator said this about the Pharisees. They watched Jesus as intently as a dog does for a bone. They were just waiting. That's that word watch. Okay, moving on. Another foodie fact. In this, right before he said what we just read together, Jesus healed a man with dropsy. Now, I'm not even going to get into this too deep this morning on this one, but in verses 3 through 6, Jesus heals this guy. He had dropsy. This was a condition that included swelling of the feet or legs as a result of water retention due to a heart condition or possibly liver or kidney malfunction. Um, today, we'd probably call it edema. And this was probably a stage thing, like the Pharisees actually, oh, let's get him. Let's invite this guy in who's got dropsy. Let's invite him in, and let's try to trick him into, into um, it's the Sabbath, so let's try to trick him into healing on the Sabbath, and then we'll get him because he worked on the Sabbath. I mean, you talk about messed up. They wanted to see how he would respond, and Jesus, of course, leaves them speechless with how he responds. He does heal the guy. And then comes the scripture we read, and you can read all about that and study that yourself. I'm not even going to get into that because I don't have time today. But we get into the scripture that we read together, and it's a parable, which of course is simply a story used to illustrate a moral or spiritual situation or, or lesson. And the scripture even gives us the reason why he told the parable. He was watching them. And this is number three. Jesus was watching them. Verse seven says, when he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them a parable. When he noticed, he was watching them. And so, I, you know, just studying this out, I wanted to know what that word, that original word was and what it meant. Was it the same word as sinisterly watching? And it's amazing to me that when Jesus was being sinisterly watched, that Jesus did not run to his posse looking for approval from them. You know, what happens when we find out that someone's really got us under the microscope? We're like, well, I'm not going to hang out here. I'm going to go over here where my friends are who all tell me good stuff, right? And I'm going, to, I'm going to build myself up here, which isn't a bad thing necessarily. 
But you, because that's a hard thing, right? That's hard to sit there under the microscope. How many love just being put under the microscope? Some of you do? I don't think any of us do. Instead, Jesus didn't run. He, he watched them. And it's not the same word as I said. He observed them, not with a sinister eye, but with a desire to understand and help them. The motive was completely different. Christians, hear me today. We need to be watchful of those whom we come in contact, not with sinister, scrutinizing eyes, but with a compassionate, understanding heart. And the original Greek word that is translated noticed here or watched is the word apako. And I can't even say it. Apako. And it means to pay attention to as to under, to pay attention to understand. To pay attention and understand. He saw them, he watched them, not looking for a way to pounce on them and get them, but he saw them and their need, and he hurt for them. Now, if you've ever watched those around you with a scrutinizing, sinister eye, rather than watching them with understanding, compassionate, and understanding a compassionate eye, um, if, if you've ever done that, if you've ever looked at somebody with more scrutiny than with compassion, would you stand to your feet and just say, yeah, I have done that? Nobody's done that? It's about honesty today, man. Okay, I'll say it again. If you've ever watched anybody scrutinizing like the Pharisees watched Jesus, instead of watching them with a compassionate eye like Jesus watched them, stand to your feet. We've all done it, right? We've all done it. Anybody else? I mean, you, you've scrutinized Okay, you can sit down. And I'll tell you why we've all done it. I'll give you some examples. Someone comes in maybe and says, hey, brother, I need healing. I need, he I need healing. My, my body's a mess. I, 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 I just need healing. And then we go, hmm, what have you been addicted to all your life? What's caused this in your body? We're scrutinizing we're judging. I'm going to be really transparent this morning. Joe, can I be just transparent? Absolutely. First, you love me, right? I do. I love you too. The first time he told me he had cancer, and it was lung cancer, I said, well, he smoked his whole life. Where's the compassion in that statement? How about... And how many know, and Joe does too, that smoking causes cancer, right? That's, that's like Captain Obvious. But our first thought, if we're watching for opportunities to minister, should be compassion. Compassion. Why was the woman getting stoned, the woman who was in sin? Because she like had seven husbands or something like that, right? I mean, she's jumping in and out of bed with husbands and different, and even the one she was with now was like her fourth husband. I don't, I don't remember the story completely, but she's a mess. And they were going to stone her for it, and what did Jesus say? He didn't say anything to her. He had compassion on her, right? He had compassion on her. I'm just saying, guys, just because something is true that you might say doesn't mean it's right to say it. 
Just because it's true to think it doesn't mean that that's where we should go to in our mind first. Our first, if we're going to be like Jesus, if we're going to walk this earth and be like Jesus, we ought to have that compassionate, watchful eye waiting for an opportunity to minister. And I prayed right away for you, Joe. I tried to kick that thought out of my head. and yeah. But that's what we all do. Well, that's what... Jesus never did it. He just saw their need and he hurt for them. Why do we do that? Why do we do the opposite of that? Pride. It's pride. It's arrogant to say, I'm sorry, Joe, I'm just picking on you a little bit today. It's, it would be arrogant for me to say, well, I quit smoking when I was, how old was I when I quit smoking? 20 years old. Well, good for you, Pastor Barry. When are you going to lay hands on Joe and pray for him? When are you going to fast for your brother in Christ? You see what I'm saying? This is why nobody likes church. Because it's full. We're all, we're all human. I'm not trying to rag. I'm ragging on myself, too. Because, because we, we, we don't know how to do this. We miss this. Not all the time, but we miss it. So Jesus noticed these guests and how they were picking the seats of honor for themselves. That's when he told them the parable. He watched compassionately, then he ministered. He watched compassionately, looking for his opportunity, and then he ministered. He watched compassionately, and then he ministered. That's what we need to do. And he ministered to the need that presented itself. He didn't do it with a harsh rebuke, and we know there are times that he did. He did have rebukes for people who were, wouldn't break free from their sin. He did that. But here he simply began to give them the scenario that they could plug themselves into and learn something. In Jesus' time, you have to know this, the seating arrangements at a dinner like this had real implications. There was a definite order of prestige and honor that was communicated through a person's position when they were reclining at table. And if you don't know what that means, go back and listen to a couple of the messages before. And, and the most honored person sat in a particular seat, and then the next most honored person in another place, and, and so on down the line. And Jesus was compassionately watching them, and their actions showed what was really in their hearts. It was pride. They were scrambling and maybe even arguing, definitely posturing themselves for the best seats in the house. They were trying to, I mean, it was, it was a big commotion thing, and he's just sitting back watching them. Not like these yahoos. He wasn't saying that. He was compassionately seeing them. I think he was seeing how goofy their pride was and going, he felt sorry for them because they didn't even see it themselves. He hurt for them. That's why he tells them the story. They all wanted the most honorable seat. They wanted the prestige of being the most dignified guest at this high-ranking Pharisee's table. So he gives them the story. He simply says, hey, when you're invited to a wedding feast, don't sit in the place of honor because you might get bumped if someone more honorable than you shows up. Then you'll be asked to move and you'll be humiliated. He says, no, just take the lowest place so when the host sees you, they'll move you up to a more honorable position and the other guests will see it. And they'll be like, whoa, that guy's honored. He says, when you're invited to a wedding, 
Understand that the wedding reception following a marriage was probably the most important social event in Jewish life in Jesus' day. And the seating arrangement around the table was evidence of your standing in the community, your status. It reflected how people viewed you. And and we don't have the same customs in our culture. We don't have seating arrangements necessarily. Sometimes we do. Um, But they don't carry the importance that they did back then. Maybe to some people they do. I don't know. But generally speaking, we don't put that much stock in where we sit. Unless it's in church and you have that special chair or pew that it's grooved out for you, that you... That's not about, usually about honor, though, or position. That's usually just about comfort. <laughs> but seating charts and assigned seats are not what this whole thing's really about. It's not really what Jesus was really getting at. So where's the beef in all this? Again, Jesus was talking about pride and humility. Pride and humility. He follows up the parable with a statement that gets right to the heart of what he's trying to teach these foodies. It's really a, a it's not a milk moment. This is a meat moment. This, this is about as meaty as it gets, right? He says in Luke 14, 11, for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and all those who humble themselves will be exalted. And that's not just about seating arrangements. That's about everything. Everything. For anybody who exalts themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. My first thought when I read that was like, man, I should humble myself before God humbles me for me. He was essentially telling them, and he's telling us too, that in every area of life, we need to fight for the cheap seats. We need to put our efforts into walking in humility and not into exalting ourselves. We need to take the higher, less traveled road of humility. We must live in a way in which we lay down our pride daily. Proverbs says that pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. And if you want to make a down payment on your own destruction, then hold on to your pride. Hold on to it. And let's remember, Jesus was speaking these words to the most religious men of his day. These weren't heathenistic pagans. These were leaders of God's chosen people. And let's be clear on what pride and humility are and and what they are not. The church is is a history of misunderstanding this. When the Bible talks about pride, it's not in reference to that warm, fuzzy feeling we get uh, when when we do something with excellence or or when we finally accomplish what we've been working on. It's okay to feel a sense of pride, in our language, that's what we say, over these types of things. When it's based on the knowledge that God has given you the ability and the strength to do whatever it is, that's given you that sense of pride. That's okay. I'm proud of my kids. That's okay, right? you're, You're proud of different things you accomplish. That's okay, as long as we know it's based on the knowledge that God has given us the ability and the strength to be a part of it. It's not pride to be confident. Confidence doesn't mean you're prideful. When that confidence is flowing from the understanding of who you are in Christ. Let me give you an example, and some of you are going to think, oh man, you're prideful. Uh, But I'm just going to give you an example of why confidence isn't prideful. There's nobody who can pastor this church better than me. And I'll tell you why. Because I'm called here. I understand that it's all about God and not about me. Now, is there people who are more gifted to do what I do? Absolutely. Line them up. There's as many as the day is long. But it's about calling. It's about who he's called me to be and me walking in that calling. And I, that's just an example. It, it's not wrong to be confident. It's not prideful to be confident. 
as long as you understand that your confidence comes from Christ and who he's made you to be. Biblical pride can possibly be, possibly be better understood if we use the word arrogance in its place. It's when we start to believe that our accomplishments are the result of our own doing. This belief takes us down that path of pride. I'm telling you, as sure as I'm standing here, I am nothing without Jesus. And in him, I have everything I could ever need, and I can be any, everything that I, I would ever want to be. It's all about him. Satan is the ultimate example of this. God created him with an unsurpassing beauty. We got any beauty queens in here this morning? <laughs> right on. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're beautiful. <laughs> Isaiah, you didn't tell your dad he was beautiful. You did? I didn't see it. There, I saw it now. Okay, that's good. Yeah, you're all beautiful, but uh, you got nothing on what God originally created Lucifer, the most beautiful angel. And he created him with talents that exceeded all other created beings. Pride and arrogance filled Lucifer, and he fell from heaven. Pride cometh before the fall. He fell from the heavens, and he took a third of the angels with him. It wasn't just him. He was full of pride, but he ended up taking a bunch with him. Of course, he became Satan and was cast down, and we, we know the, the rest. And I, I think that might have been the first church split, by the way. <laughs> Someone becomes full of pride, and they leave, and a third of the people go with them, right? I, I don't know. That's probably not in Scripture. Um, someone filled with and given over to their own pride not only writes to their own future of destruction, but they usually take a bunch of people down with them as they're falling. It's just how it works. Humility, on the other hand, is not about self-loathing or self-debasement. It, it would probably be more accurate to describe humility from the biblical perspective as a kind of short-term memory loss in reference to your great accomplishments and that they're about you because they're not about you. They're about him, right? It's a matter of understanding your place in the grand scheme of things and embracing that purpose. It's about fulfilling God's purpose in your life with excitement, regardless of how you feel. And like the scripture tells us, humility is, is about putting others' needs above your own. Not that you shouldn't take care of yourself, it didn't say that, but putting others' needs in front of your own, being concerned with others. These are hard words to really understand because there's so many different faces and angles to it. And really, where you're at is, is different than everybody else on the, on, on all the, in all this. How you're balanced in this, how you're wired for this, how you're made up, but you gotta know yourself well, well enough to know where you're at and how to adjust for it and to know where the potholes are if you're gonna fall into pride or if you're gonna walk in humility. Jesus fulfilled this perfectly. He's the ultimate example of someone who deserved the highest place but took the lowest place. And then he was granted the highest place, right? He deserved the box seats. He took the cheap seats and then was given the ultimate seat in heaven. Philippians 2, 5 through 11 says this, in your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in, very, in the very nature of, 
God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, every, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. A man who, who, uh, who let his very own creation put him to death. That's humble, right? A, a, a person uh, who, who left heaven, where he was God and is God, right, came as a baby in a manger. That's humility. He humbled himself and then was exalted. And of course, this is, a, again, it's a very hard thing to, to really preach and teach about to a room like this because there's no one-size-fits-all answer to how to walk in balance with all this. Everybody's a little different. But I can tell you one thing, we got to guard against pride in our heart. What it keeps us from doing, what it makes us do. We got to walk in humility, put others' needs above our own, fully taking care of our own self as well. So, what's the take home box today? It's to walk in humility and avoid avoiding pride. It requires us to be self aware. And I'm going to go through these really quick this morning. You could take a picture of the screen if you need to, or if they're going to come up one at a time, that's, um, they're not going to come up one at a time, I don't think, but if they do, whatever. In Christ, I am loved. That's, that's who, that's, you need to be self-aware of who you are in Christ. In Christ, I am loved. How many are loved? Because you're in Christ. In our Ephesians uh, series, we talked about how that, that whole phrase in Ephesians, in Christ, is in there like 36 times, and throughout the whole New Testament, that phrase, in Christ, is like, I think it was 160-some, if I remember right. But anyway, in Christ, I am loved. It's 1 John 3, 3. In Christ, I am accepted. Some of you just need to say that out loud. Say it today. In Christ, I am accepted. In Christ, I am his child. Yeah, we don't have to read every one, but we could. It'd be good for us to. Write them down, take a picture of them. They're great affirmations. In Christ, I am a friend of God. In Christ, I'm a joint heir with him. In Christ, I'm a member of his body. In Christ, I have oneness with God. In Christ, I am his temple and the dwelling place of his spirit. In Christ, I am chosen. In Christ, I am redeemed and forgiven. In Christ, I am complete. In Christ, there is no condemnation for me. In Christ, I am a new creation. In Christ, all things work together for good in my life. It's a good thing to be in Christ, by the way. I mean, I don't know how, what, what, you'd, what you'd do. In, in Christ, I no longer, I didn't even write these down but for you guys, but in Christ, I no longer have a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and of a sound mind. I'm established, I'm anointed, I'm sealed by God. I have direct access to him, and I'm seated in heavenly places with him. And the list goes on and on and on and on and on for those who are in Christ. Amen. Be self-aware of who you are in Christ. Be self-aware of who you would be without Christ. We don't think about this too much, 
But without Christ, I would be a slave to sin. Without Christ, I would be nothing and I could do nothing good. Without Christ, I would have no hope. Without Christ, I would be incomplete. Without Christ, I would be unforgiven. And I could go on and on, but basically everything we have and everything we are in him is what we wouldn't have and wouldn't be outside of him. And there are many ways to lose, to, to, uh, lose our humility and fall into pride as, as there are people. We've already said this. It's, it's, it's kind of an individual thing. But we can protect ourselves from this when we remember who we are in Christ and who we would be without him. It's absolutely all about Christ and Christ in you. James 4.10 says, Humble yourself before the Lord and he will exalt you. I want you to close your eyes for just a minute. I'm done preaching. Is there anyone in here this morning, you've never given your heart to Jesus, and you need to? Maybe you're here and you're like, well, I I haven't heard anything like this. I mean, and here I am hearing that I need Jesus, and I feel like I need him. He's calling to me today. If that's you and you want to receive Christ, I will not embarrass you. I won't call you up front or anything like that, but we're going to pray with you today as a whole congregation not gathering around you or anything like that. Again, I will not embarrass you. But if that's you today and you've never accepted Jesus and you need to, would you just raise your hand up and say, yeah, that's me. I need to do that today. Okay, I see that one hand there. Others? Okay. Amen. I see that one in the back there. Anybody else? I want to ask this too, if there's people in this room that, that um, you've known Jesus, you've had moments with him, you know he's real, you've asked him into your heart, maybe you've even been baptized and, and, and made a public confession of your faith, but you've wandered away from that faith, the, maybe, maybe pride has got a hold of you in some way or, or another, maybe in a subtle way, and it's pulled you away from church, or you made one mistake and you thought you could never come back. It's always amazing to me how when we need Jesus most, that's when the pride kicks in and then we run away from those who could help us. God's people or even God himself. If that's you and you need to come back to Jesus, you just need to rededicate your life. You need to ask him in again. Would you raise your hand? Okay. I see hands up all over. Amen. Amen. We're going to pray together this morning. Pray this prayer from your heart. And everybody in the congregation, would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, Jesus, come into my heart today. today. Be my Savior. Be my my Lord. Lord. Help me get rid of all my pride. I choose you today. Forgive me of my sins and set me free to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, 
we kind of had a theme going on through the day. I wasn't really expecting it, but the theme of, of laying down pride in order to be ministered to. And sometimes pride, like I said, has that, that face of really big, arrogant-type people who think they're all that. And that's kind of how we, we see it. But I think in the church, it's more of a, just a little subtle thing. I don't, Jared talked about it a lot, Pastor Jared. I, I don't want anybody to think different of me or, or different of me or weird or think I'm weird or think I have a need. If you don't think the people in this room have, all, every one of us have needs, you're crazy. We all do. We all would be nothing without Jesus. If, if, if you're having some kind of a problem with, with just sin, addiction, we're not, we're not here to condemn you. We want to help you. If you're having some kind of marital problem, marital issue, if you're trying to figure it out on your own because you're afraid of what somebody will think or say, my goodness, you don't know the hearts of the pastors in this church then or the people of this church. If you're struggling in the area of, of and I, I mentioned it when we were talking, mental health, how many have ever needed a mental health day? <laughs> Come on. That's nothing to be ashamed of. We need help. We need to lean on our brothers and sisters in Christ. No matter what we're going through. No matter what we're going through. Maybe your family is just blowing up. Maybe the kids are... You know, well, I can't, I can't talk to, I mean, I've had people literally tell me, well, I can't talk to you about my kids because you have perfect kids. And they've made that face when they said it. Yeah, I whipped every one of them too. <laughs> not with a belt. A whooping, not a whipping, a whooping. <laughs> Big difference. We all have gone through stuff. We've all gone through things. We're here to bear each other's burdens, to lay down the pride. Yeah, but you'll think I'm a nobody if I tell you what's going on. No, I won't. Besides, I already think we're all nobodies. Without Jesus, right? But with Jesus, we're everything. We're everything. God, I thank you for this congregation. I thank you that you love them with an everlasting love. That every person in this room has a purpose for their existence, for why they're here today. And Lord, I thank you that you're helping them find that. God, I pray blessings on each individual as they go forth. God, help them to walk in humility even when there's things aren't, aren't going as expected or, or, or going a little off course. Lord, help us to be the kind of church and the kind of people that love each other enough to help one another. Lord, we give you praise and we give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for being a part of the Indianola First podcast. Join us next week to stay updated on our latest messages.